several months, even prior to. You know, for me, I have to do a lot of studying, and uh, I, I I study these things, and then the next morning I forgot what I studied, so I have to go back and study again. So it takes me time to to go through these. So, and I know Daryl is going to approach this subject uh, pretty soon because it's what's coming up in the uh, series that he's running right now. But through my prayer and study and, and thoughts as I did a lot of this, I thought back on Mr. Armstrong and I, uh, he used to tell us, always talked about the two trees, uh, one way of life of God, one way of life of Satan. And he used to always say, and I remember this so often he would say, you people just don't get it. And I used to sit out there and say, I get it. And they'd keep on saying, you don't get it. And he'd keep covering the same thing about the two trees. Well, I guess it's uh, getting to the point now, after 40-some years, I'm beginning to see a little bit of the light that what he said 40 years ago. So maybe I didn't get it then. And maybe a lot of us didn't. Uh, the two trees being two ways of life and two ways of people live. And just like Adam and Eve, who had the choice to let God lead them or to make the choice to do it themselves, we find ourselves in that same position. We can choose to let God show us the right way and direct our minds and our thoughts and our actions, or we can choose to to do it ourselves. It's still the same process. It's still the same thing, a way of give and a way of get. And it's difficult because we're human and we have human desires and things that pull us down. So what I've been studying on, and, and I know there's been a lot of sermons on it, the church for years has spoke on this subject, uh, we've had other ministers, and I've listened to them, and they've had tremendous sermons on it. But you know, it's a thread that goes through the Bible. This sermon, I was telling somebody earlier, this sermon actually is right here. It's everything that's in here. Because this is that thread that goes through. I spoke to someone last night, and I said, one of those threads is love, is uh, marriage. It starts out in the very beginning, God creating two people. And they were married. It says a man will leave his husband, will leave his his father and mother, and take to his wife, and they that will become a new unit, a new family. And it ends in Revelation with the marriage of the Lamb to the bride, the 144,000. So it goes through the whole scriptures. It's there. This is what the Bible is. It's a plan of salvation. But what I want to cover is something else that's through there. And it's everything, then, is based on this. Everything we do in God's way of life is based on this subject, and that is love. Everything we do, everything we see, everything we say, everything about God's way of life is based on love. Now, we can have our love, or we can have... God love. And a lot of times, we don't really know what God love is. 1 Corinthians 13, where I'm going to start, the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is showing a contrast between love, a gift of God, and the other gifts. There's a contrast between it. And a lot of times, you can have different gifts and utilize those gifts, but love is the greatest of everything that God has. Everything that we do in our life, we can consider it important to our life, but is it to God's purpose? Go to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start there. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Here Paul brings out some of those gifts. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, 
I do not want you to be ignorant. He said, I don't want you to not recognize the fact that there are gifts that God hands down to every person. It's a gift from God. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of these gifts that I'm able to give. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by dumb idols, however you were led. So he said, he's basically saying right here is that whoever you are, you didn't find God. You were doing your way of life. You lived your way. You acted the way you did. You grew up in your society, whatever it was. You didn't know God until he looked down and called you and opened your mind. I was able to relate some of those things of of my opportunity to come here, my wife and I, back in 1962. And to me, it was like being in a blackened room and all of a sudden a light bulb comes on. I wasn't looking for God, and neither were you. But he called you. He knew who you were. He knew what you could do. And you were handpicked through the tool that he was using at that time. When I came in, was Herbert Armstrong. He had a calling work. God used that man as a tool, just like he used Pharaoh as a tool. He used Nebuchadnezzar as a tool to do different things. He used Herbert Armstrong. Only the tool of Herbert Armstrong was to call people to the knowledge of the truth. I remember some of the first things that I heard that changed my mind was, blow the dust off your Bible, Well. For me, you know, I had a Bible, one or two maybe. I'm not sure where they were. I don't know where they, you know, because we weren't really interested in biblical things. We weren't interested in God. We were interested in raising a family. We had one little girl, and boy, that was our life. Now we have six little, big little girls. And two big boys. (laughs) And lots of grandbabies. And great-grandbabies. But, you know, it's still, to me at that time, I wasn't looking for God. But he looked for me. So here God says, at one time, and speaking, put your, your name in here and say, at one time, here I was, being, doing whatever I was doing, And I was actually being led around by somebody who didn't know God. Whether it was the Methodists or Baptists or Catholics or Mormons or uh, Jehovah Witnesses or whatever. For the most part, these people don't know God. And we were being led in a way to follow them. Therefore, verse 3, I make known to you that no one speaks by the Spirit of God calls Emmanuel accursed. If you have God's Spirit, you will never call Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, accursed. Your Spirit of God is not is going to convict your mind so that you won't do that. He says, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is Emmanuel except that the Holy Spirit gave you that knowledge. It opened and parted your mind that this is God. This is the one that created the universe. Up until this point, we've heard of God, but unless you have God's Spirit, you're not going to understand those things. Therefore, there are diversities of these gifts. So if Paul's going here, 1 Corinthians 12, he said, there's a, a broad spread of these these gifts that God gives out. But he wants us to understand this gifts that are given to people come from the same Spirit. It is from God. So these gifts come from the same Spirit. There is differences of uh, administrations, different churches, different type of things. 
especially in those that have come to know Christ, there are differences in administrations. But the same Spirit, the same God who works in all in all. It is God working through them. So sometimes it's difficult to look out there and say, hey, I'm the only one. This little group is the only little group. Because we could go back to the scripture that says, yes, our leader is dead, our counselor is perished. So at this point in time, we have many inside the church of God, different organizations, and they work it a little bit different here and there. But it is still God who is in charge. He did it. Because we were all Laodicean. There wasn't a person in the church who wasn't, in one way or another, falling short on his uh, efforts to love and worship God. We all fell short. And even today, we're struggling to come out of that and to be more attuned to what God wants us to do. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one to the profit of all, or to say, as it means, as a means of helping the entire church. So what God gives to each one of us in the long run is to benefit the whole church. Somewhere down the line, each one of us has, a, a, has an ability to help someone else. Whether we do or not is up to us. Again, it's a choice that we have to make. It's that choice between letting God lead us or doing it our way. It still falls to that same thing that Herbert Armstrong said for years. There are two ways of life. It's hard to make the right choice because being human... We want to follow our thoughts. What makes me happy? What does my way? So, to say the manifestations or the gifts given to each person is in the bottom line is to help the whole congregation, the whole body of Christ, the ones that will marry Christ. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. So some people have a lot of wisdom. Some of us seem to lack wisdom in some areas. Uh, I've done some stupid things in my life. What's a lack of wisdom? Lack of making the right choices. Letting God guide and direct me. So he says to some, the word of, uh, from the Spirit will be given the words of wisdom and to another of knowledge. Some people can sit down and absorb knowledge and they can be a walking dictionary are walking encyclopedia because their mind can absorb this stuff and they are capable of understanding knowledge. And that is a gift. For others, it's difficult. We sit down and we try to gain knowledge and it just kind of falls in and out of our minds. And some people are never able to, to obtain a lot of knowledge. But that also is from the same spirit. The spirit that gives the ability to lead, the same Spirit gives one to have understanding and knowledge and wisdom. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Sometimes we lack faith. Faith is a very, you know, you can have faith in people, but to have true faith is that of having faith in God. Trusting God that uh, so many of us, you know, we, we sit up there and we can say, I don't worry about different things because God made a promise. And God is faithful that he will keep those promises that he made to us. But to some people, they have this kind of faith that it's easy for them to live in a situation that seems very troubling and very difficult to others. But that's a gift of God. If your faith is that strong that you are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was able to go up to this mighty king with all this power that he had and tell him, I'm not going to worship your idol. 
You know, no matter what. If you throw us in the fire and we die, we die. But we're not going to worship your idol because we believe God's going to protect us. So here are people that had faith. Now, can I say I would have that kind of faith that I would stand in front of a firing squad or be like Daniel and say, I'm still going to pray to God whatever you say and I'm not going to worship some false idol. And so, I'm going to throw you in a lion's den or put you in front of a firing squad. Do I have that kind of faith? I hope, but I don't know that. I can't, I can say it that I would do that, but I haven't been put in front of a firing squad either. But there are people that have that kind of faith. And that is a gift from God through the same Spirit that gives wisdom and the ability to speak. To another, the gift of hearing by the same Spirit. So some people can hear things and receive them and understand them real easily. And some people are not willing to listen. They don't want to hear things. But it is the same Spirit that gives us all these gifts to another, the working of miracles. Now, I've seen a few miracles. I've seen healings. And I've seen people have hands laid on them and healed. And I've seen some that have hands laid on them or not healed. But that still comes through the same Spirit. It is God working through them to another prophecy. So there are some people that can read prophecy and it just, it's open to them. They just completely understand this and they can explain the prophets. I think Daryl, when he did the Minor Prophet series, he had that Spirit of God that he could read those things and it was revealed to him by the Spirit of God. And many of us received that and could understand it because God gave the ability to understand prophecy. To another, discerning the spirits. Now, it's, my wife has had a couple of instances in her life where she could discern the spirits of these people. And they were pretty obvious, I think, in some cases. In others, it was a little bit not as obvious, but was able to discern the attitude that came across. But this, again, is a gift from God. Not everybody has that. Not everybody can grasp the fact of the spirit that's in a person. To another, the interpretation of a language. I talked to George a little bit. He, he could understand Spanish. He uh, understands Morse code. He has different languages. Now, I tried during Morse code in my lifetime because I wanted to have a, a job that would be able to repair radios and stuff. Just couldn't, couldn't master it. It was just like... And I work with Spanish people right now. And I struggle with that. I pick up a word here and there. But when they talk, it's just like a... You know? I don't know what they said. And I can laugh with them because I know they're laughing and happy. But what they said, I, I, don't, I don't understand their different languages. I can't interpret it. In my life, I remember a young woman, a young girl, who came to my parents from Finland... She could speak seven languages and understand them. And I was struggling to understand English. And she could do seven languages. So there's a gift given to this person to be able to interpret and to speak it. But one in the self, same, the self spirit works all th- these things, distributing to each one individually as the spirit will, as God will. So some of us can do a lot of things, and some of us can struggle on a daily basis. And maybe all the spirit that we have is faith. That's a gift of God. Some of us can work hard, and some of us can't. But our faith can encourage. That's how it goes to help the whole church, is your faith or your ability to speak or your ability to understand uh, different prophecies 
to be able to do different things, it helps the whole body to make it a, a body of one people. For the body is one and has many members, in verse 12. But all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So as we are part of the body of Christ, we have different abilities. And it's given to each one by God. He selects it. You know, I can think back on the parable of the talents. You know, God gave to Christ speaking about the talents. He said to this person, I'm going to give five talents. But that person was able to deal with five talents. And to this person he gave four, and this and three, and this and two. And to one of them he gave one talent. Because that person had a difficulty even dealing with just one phase of his life. The problem is that as a human being, we think, I can do more. I can accomplish more in my life. But God doesn't think that, and he doesn't love me as much as the other person. So I'm going to hide what God gives me. I'm not going to take an exercise and develop it. But all God wants from us is to exercise what he gives to us. Whatever gift it is, he wants us to exercise that, put it into practice, and to use it to help everybody else. And maybe all you can do is pray, hey, that's a fantastic opportunity. You know, there are people that cannot go out there and work like Will or me or Terry or some of these young people who could put in and build things, who could fix things, who they just can't do those things. They just don't have the capability. To, you know, my wife couldn't do that. But I know that God has said, and I believe and am faithful to that point, that God says there is going to come a time that we're going to have to have the strength and energy to do it, and we're all going to have that energy and ability to do it. God promised us. But we have to exercise what we already have been given to us, or it's going to fall short. Because what happened to the man with the one talent who didn't exercise that talent, who didn't put it into practice? God took it away from him. He took that talent away and gave it to the person with five because the person with five made ten talents, ten abilities. So why waste your time on a single opportunity if you don't want to do it? So God loves each one of us and gives us those abilities. And he wants to know, are we going to do what he gives us? Are we going to exercise it? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul saying, I, therefore, the prisoner of the eternal, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Walk worthy of that. Not hide it, not put it away and say, well, you don't love me, I'm going to take it away. No. Maybe it's all you can do. Maybe prayer, maybe supporting, maybe maybe you can go out there and build things and do fantastic jobs. Or maybe you can't. But what God says, make your calling, a calling that each one of us has. It's a special calling. He knew ahead of time what he needs and what you can do. So he's not asking us to do more than we can do. That's why the parable of talents is so important, because he knows what you can do. And if you can handle five jobs, he's going to give you five jobs. If you can only handle one, he doesn't want you to get so discouraged. Oh, you got loaded all these things on me, and how can I do it? I've got too much to do. No, he only gives you what you can do. It's whether you want to do it or not, or you want to exercise. So he says, be worthy of that calling. Whatever it is, just do the best you can with it. We have to 
asking ourselves, am I just complying with, you know, the scriptures that say keep the Sabbath? Do I just comply to that? Do I just comply with coming to services? Do I just, or am I committed to this way of life? If I'm committed to this way of life with my whole heart, then I'm going to exercise. I'm going to put in practice. I'm going to show that I am worthy of that calling that God gave to me. It takes a lot of effort and energy to do that. Verse 2. And I'm reading this from the New King James. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, forbearing with one another in love. Sometimes that's difficult. My personality clashes with other people. Sometimes yours clash with me. But... We're told by Christ through Paul that we should with all long-suffering, forbearing one another, being willing to accept other people in the calling that God has given to them. It's tough. Because nobody is as good as me, is it? You know, I'm the greatest. Nobody knows as much as me. You don't believe it? Ask me. Or, better yet, just sit and listen. I'll tell you. <laughs> but here we're said, we're to have a long-suffering. Maybe they struggle. We don't really know each other's position and your struggle in life. That's why that... One proverb says, you don't want to challenge somebody else until you've walked a mile in their moccasins, you know. You don't know what they're struggling with. You see them, you grasp what you can do, but maybe they can't do that. Maybe they don't have that ability and they don't have that gift. So, do I not have long-suffering and gentleness to take and help them along in their daily walk? So what I can do with my life is to help you in your life with Christ. So the talent that, that we are given, the gifts that are given to each one of us, we have to exercise that by helping the whole congregation, all of those people, including the people that are not even part of the church, people that do not know God. The end result is we become part of the family of God and then we're given that opportunity to come back and help those that have never had that opportunity. But they're going to be given an opportunity. The opportunity for us is to be able to come back and teach those people, to help them in their daily struggle. They're not going to be just given all the knowledge that's necessary. They're going to be judged on this book just like we're judged. They're going to have to live by what's here, just like we have to live by what's here. They just have to have a teacher to come and teach them with love. Not to be down on top of them. Verse 3 in Ephesians 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. That's tough sometimes, isn't it? To try to make peace. We're told by Christ in Matthew 5 to be peacemakers. That means you have to work at it to be peacemakers. You can't be a peacemaker and say, I don't like that person, so they do this, this. I look at what they do. I see them making these mistakes and go around telling other people. That's not making peace. That's making destruction. That's why God says in Proverbs chapter 6, I hate the person that causes dissension. Why? Why could God say that? Because one-third of the angels were stripped away from obedience and love to the Father. So, yes, God can say, I hate that. Because he doesn't want that to happen. He wants unity. And we have to, if we're going to have unity, have to have love. 
we have to have that kind of love that God has. There is one body and one spirit. Just as there were, uh, you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. If we're going to have peace and love toward other people, we have to have God in us. We have to have His way of life inside us. But each one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gifts of Christ. So again, it's emphasizing there are gifts given to each and every one of us. We need to exercise those gifts. Verse 29, are all apostles? Ask the question. Is everybody an apostle? No, we know that. Are all prophets? No. I don't know whether there's prophets today or not. Sometimes we have prophecies that we can grasp. Maybe we're given a dream and we can say this is going to happen. Maybe that's a prophet. But are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? No, because we know that not everybody has that ability to teach. Are we all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? Or all speak with tongues? And can all interpret tongues? I can testify that. I can't speak in other languages and certainly can't interpret them either. But there are people that can and our people that do that. But covet, he says. So here's a case where he's saying, grasp it, go after it, make this a very important part of your life, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Really desire to get these gifts, and I show unto you a more excellent way. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men, in chapter 13, verse 1, First uh, Corinthians thirteen one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not what godly character. Godly character is godly love. God's love never comes to an end. He says, though if I speak with the tongues of people, and you know I've known people that are so gifted in the ability to speak that they can practically convince, like I used to say to my brother, you can go out there and convict or convince an Eskimo to buy a decrease. There are people that have that ability. They can reach out with their abilities to speak and tremendous abilities in speaking. I went to a couple of uh, these multi-marketing seminars and there were people that could just convince you that This is the only way to go and you're going to make millions of dollars. There was no way. You had to be number one or two or three or five or at least no lower than about the 15th if you're going to make millions of dollars. The rest of you are going to support us that we can have our millions, but they have a gift of talk that can convict you, hey, this is the way. And there are some people that have that ability to talk and it can convict you to go the wrong direction. They can so speak and be so forceful and so convincing in their speech that you could actually walk away from God's way of life. They have that ability. But what they lack is, he says here, even though they have this ability to speak, if they don't have the love of God, then all they are is a sounding brass, a noise out there. So it comes down to the point that you, as a person, as the Bible says, it spoke through Paul, he said, you have to prove all things. It's up to you as an individual. I don't care what somebody can speak about. I, can't, I don't care how they talk unless you can go back and find it in the Scriptures. Just like Mr. Armstrong said, 
one of the things that convicted me about him was, blow the dust off this, and if it's not here, if you can't find it in this book, then it's probably not true. When you're talking spiritual things, prove it yourself. It takes Bible study. It takes exercise. It takes work. So you can be a great speaker. So you can convict people of all kinds of things. But unless you have godly love, you're really nothing. You're really nothing. In Second Peter 2.18 says, For when they speak, these people that have this great ability to speak, great swelling words, Second Peter 2.18, Great swelling words of vanity. You know, Solomon said, vanity of vanity. All things are vanity. It's just vain, some of the things that we do. Because the only thing that's out here is, as he ended up in, in uh, Proverbs, I mean, uh, Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The whole duty, the whole responsibility of people is to love God and follow his commands. So here in Peter says, when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh because they want importance, you know. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They have this ability to speak because of the lusts of the flesh and through much wantonness, wantonness through those that were clean escape from them who live in error. Sometimes people have that ability to convict you and unless you have the proof yourself, like we've heard it said so many times, you don't criticize a minister, criticize each other unless you have two or three witnesses. Now you might hear somebody say, that person's a so-and-so. Okay, I believe that. But are they? Do you really know that? Have you proved that? God is willing to forgive them. Are you? Back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 14, 6. Now, brethren, if... I come to you and speak with tongues, you either in revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. What people say, is it through doctrine? Is it through prophesying? Because they've done this. Is it through knowledge? Through the knowledge that you have. So it's pretty much important that Without godly love, it becomes nothing but empty words. If all that somebody has to say, if it's not provable by Scripture, by actions, and it says, Christ said to us, you know the people by their fruit. Look at their way they live their life. Does somebody spend their life for, for you or for anybody else? And are they a bad person? Even if somebody comes up and says, I don't like these people, how do they spend their life? What's the fruit of their life? So it's up to us as an individual to prove things before we get sucked aside down the wrong path. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. He says here, Though I have the gift of prophecy, you know, I can speak, I can understand all prophecies in the world. So what? Does it profit me anything to understand all prophecies if I don't really love somebody else? If I don't have the same quality of love that God has? Remember Moses when he came down from the mountain? They were having an orgy or just reveling and had gone away from God. And God said to Moses, stand aside. 
I'm going to wipe all these people out and start new with you. And what was Moses' reaction? He had, in effect, godly love. He said, no, take my eternal life and spare those people. I am willing to sacrifice my eternity for all the rest of the people. So even though you know prophecy, so it says, and understand all the mysteries, understand everything that people say, I understand all mysteries every place, and have tons of knowledge. You know, I'm that encyclopedia that walks around. And though I have all faith, you know, I can... I believe everything. I have this kind of faith so that I could even move mountains. But I don't have that godly love that says I will give my life for another person that they can have eternal life. That's what godly love is. So it doesn't profit us to be able to do all these things. You know, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge is, hey, I know all these things. I'm good at all this. But, if you don't have godly love, you're just a bag of wind mostly. It doesn't do you any good. You're here today and gone tomorrow. But, Real love edifies other people. You're willing to spend the time and help them. We have to put whatever we know into practice. Look at Romans 11, verse 25. Romans 11:25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mysteries, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Sometimes... We think we've got the knowledge, and we think we are great. We're wise in our own conceit. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So the world, because we're all contrary to God, is blinded. And they're not going to get this knowledge that's given to us until the fulfillment of what God has set aside, and that's the birth and resurrection of the firstborn. In Matthew 7, verse 19, every tree that brings forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So here God is telling us in Matthew 7, that we've got to put some effort into it. We've got to work at it. We've got to struggle sometimes. It's not easy. But God wants to know what you're made of. If you're going to take and refine silver, you've put it through the fire. And I've seen silver and ore, and it's nothing but looks like dirt, silver dirt. But until you refine it, and you refine it, and you refine it until you get it down to pure 99.9% silver, it still has some flaws in it. And we're like silver, and we're like gold to God. And He wants us to be pure. So He's refining us, and sometimes we go through trials and tribulation. But it takes work to do that. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. I even brought that up a little earlier. But God puts us through the fire because he wants to know, hey, who are you? What are you made of? Are you going to be some pure silver, pure gold? Or are you just going to be a rock? Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven. 
So he wants to know, and that's why we go through trials sometimes. But is it hatred that God does that to us? No, it's love. It's godly love that he wants to know, will you go all the way? Will you stand in front of that firing squad? Will you be cast in the lion's den? Will you make a commitment to God and then fall back on it? You're going to give that as a thought. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And the name of, have we not cast out devils? Have we not done miracles? You know, casting out demons? And in your name, have we not done wonderful works? And then, well, I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Because he's looking for something more than the ability to read the scriptures. He's looking to more than being able to understand prophecy. To be able to be able to just convict people through everything you say or through all the knowledge that you have. He wants more than that from you. What does he want from you? He wants you to have his character, his kind of love. You know, Gordon did some sermons a few years back, I think it was three or four, on Psalms 136, which says, throughout every verse says, God's mercy endures forever. These are songs that we maybe we should go back and listen to those sermons again. Because this is what God wants from you. He don't care if you can speak 15 languages. That's not important. He don't care if you know every mystery in the world. Because that's not important either. He don't care if you can do all kinds of physical things. He knows what you can do. He called you because he knew whether you could pick a horse up or not. He knew whether you could read a book in five minutes. He knew that you could absorb different languages and bring them back out because he gave it to you. So that's not important. That's why he says that in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, 2, and 3. That's not important. What's important is godly love. Whether you have the qualities of God. Whether you can say, like he did, when he said and worked with the two God beings, the one that became the Father and one that became Christ, the two God beings sat up there and decided... One of us has to be willing to give up everything that's eternal life for our creation. One of them had to say, I'll let you. And one of them had to say, I'll do it. So we have the instance of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was in his 30s. Abraham was over, way over 100. You think... Abraham grabbed Isaac, picked him up, threw him on top of that stack of wood, and brought the knife back to slit his throat? No. Isaac was willing to go all that way. Isaac said, I love you, Abraham, my father, and I have faith and trust in God, so I'll do what you say. That's godly love. So in his sermons that Gordon did on his mercy endures forever, what is in in mercy, forgiveness, love? Remember David? He commits a crime. 
And God sent Nathan to him and said, You know, you have a choice, David, because what you've done is wrong. You can let the elements take out so much of the people, you know, suffer the trial of elements, or you can suffer the trial by humans, or you can turn yourself over to God. And David's answer was, and this is a man that God says is a man after my heart, who wants to be a part of me, he said, I will put myself in trust of God because who knows how deep the mercy of God is. So mercy and love equate to the same thing. So God wants to know. He asked you the question. Ask me, ask each one of us. Is it important that I can be the greatest speaker in the world? Is it important for me to know everything about everything and totally understand it so I know there's nothing that can stump me? Is that important to God? If it was, I'm sure that he would give it to you. But he gives us what he gives us, as I said earlier, for the edifying and building of the whole body. So our talents, our abilities, are not self-centered abilities. They can't be. They have to go beyond that. They have to go looking at the vision that God has. A vision of a family. Starting out with a marriage of his son to the bride, which becomes the church, which is a 144,000 brides. To the children that come during the millennial time. To the children that come after the millennial time, when the great vast group of people are all raised to life. Finally, all these people who have ever lived are going to give an opportunity to know what's here and to live by what's in this book. They're going to be judged the same way, but they're going to be given an opportunity. Today, who knows what's here? Only the ones that God has selected. He called a lot of people. Now he's selecting them. He's looking into their heart. Will they, like Paul, who God says through Paul, I would give my eternal life if you would just save my people. It's difficult to say that. Hey, I'll stand in front of the firing squad and let the rest of you get away. But that's what God expects. It's difficult, yes. It's hard to think that. Many times I've given that a thought and say, which one of my children would I have said to the father, yes, I will sacrifice this child to you. I will take their life and spill their blood on the ground for you. And it's hard to do that. Because I love my children. But if my love for my children is only a physical love, if it's only because they're my children, then I'm missing the point. It has to go beyond that. It has to be willing to spend everything about my life for my children. Sometimes it's godly love to allow them to suffer because the end result is what God's looking for. He doesn't look for uh, an immediate, you know, right now, today, this is going to happen. No, he's looking at the long-term situation. He's looking at a family. He's looking at a time when they will be children and they will see God because they will be like God. Just like he said to each one of us, We will see God the Father because we will be 
the bride of Christ, we will be children of the Father. And that's what godly love works into. God says in 1 John 4, verse 8, God, for God is love. That's what it says there. God, his whole character is love. And he goes on in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, Think of that. He said, if God so loved us, and put my name in it, saying to me, Nelson, if God so loved you, you ought to also love other people. My love should go far beyond just, hey, I love you as a friend, and then because you didn't do something that I wanted you done, well, then I'm not going to love you today. Now, that's not God's attitude. God's attitude is, oh, you made a mistake. If you come and see that you made a mistake, he's going to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Because I really want you to be my family. So we have Matthew 25 too, don't we? says the same thing there in Matthew 25. He says, if you love me, Christ said, I'll know that by how you treat each other. You live with people. You don't see me. You're not, you don't visually see me standing there. You don't touch me. You don't talk to me. And I talk back on a, in a verbal communication. I don't do that. But you do that with each other. And these, God is saying to each one of us, all of us are brothers and sisters of Christ. So how do I treat you? If I treat you rough, hey, I'm looking at Christ and treating him rough. If I'm saying, you can't be my friend, I'm saying to Christ, you can't be my friend. If I say, you're a rotten, stinking person, I'm saying to Christ, you're a rotten singing person because you made these people and they're your children and they belong to me. So godly love stretches beyond our physical capabilities. Godly love goes to that point that Christ said to the Father, you know, If I could, I wouldn't do this. But not my will, but yours be done. And he was willing, like Isaac, to be put on the stake. He was willing to be tied to a stake first, stripped of his clothes, have a man stand out there with a whip and rip the flesh off his body so that we could have physical health. And I have to say, Nelson, which one of these people that God has called, how about even the people of the country, whether it be the president or Congress or whatever, are you willing to be stripped, to be beaten with a whip and have your flesh ripped off for these people? Oh, I can look out there and say, yeah, they're scoundrels. They're crooked They have all these bad things. But Christ did. When Christ walked the earth, there was not one converted person at the time. Save John the Baptist, maybe. The rest of the people that he talked to, the disciples, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. I've known some fishermen, and if they were fishermen like the ones I knew, their vocabulary was pretty short. In fact, you have one who said to Christ, I will die for you. And I know that we say that too, don't we? Oh, Christ, I, I'm with you. 
Man, I'm with you all the way. Yes, I will follow you. I will do it. I will be there. I will put my life in front of you. It's what Peter said, wasn't it? He said that to Christ. I'll die for you. Hey, it's me and you, Lord. We're together. But they came and picked Christ up. They hauled him in. They accused him of all things. And what did Peter do? I don't know him. I don't know that man. I'm not part of them. And then he began to curse. Peter was close to Christ. But Peter wasn't converted either. And Peter had an important job yet to do. Christ knew Peter's heart because he even told Peter after Peter said, Hey, I'm with you, me and you, Lord. Christ said to Peter, You know, Peter, you know, it's comical, Peter, that you say that, but you're going to deny me before the day dawns three times. Oh, no, I would never do that. But he did. And Peter is used great, important part of the work. So this is what God looks to you and to me on. We can say, I am with you, Lord, but where is your heart? Which human being on this planet, whether it be Assad of Syria, or Putin in Russia, Barack Obama which you would say I'd do it for everybody but those men they're, they're really bad people well what about the banksters and the other people what about the people that run this county would we willing to give our life for them or do we find fault with them and think hey I'm so much better than they are no you're not What does God want from you? He doesn't want you to be the greatest speaker in the world. He doesn't want you to know everything about prophecy. As he wants you to know it, he'll put it in your mind. He doesn't want you to uh, have all the money that's necessary to do whatever it is you want. That's not important to God. Because he has said in Psalms, All the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. And all the gold belongs to me. So if I want you to have it, you'll get it when you need it. And not before. I've lived 40-some years in the Church of God. And I've never had something that I needed not kept from me. Eight children, 24 grandchildren, Seven great-grandchildren. All the food. Only one time in our life we had a utility shut off. And that wasn't because we couldn't take care of it. It's because we were too busy. And we forgot it. But everything else, whether it be a tithe year, a third tithe year, where we put out... It couldn't work out on paper. <laughs> There's no way. Too many bills. We were given babies... We were given cars and refrigerators and freezers and, and love. It's always been there because God made that promise. That's godly love. And that's what he wants from us. Whenever anyone else has a difficulty, godly love is that we are willing to spend our life for each other. So you want to know what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? We know what Paul said, the first part. It says this is not godly love. Godly love is being God. Having godly character. You can go to Galatians 5.22 and read godly character. It lists godly character in Galatians 5.22-23. That's who God is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. There's no law against any of that. God's happy. God's full of joy. 
God loves his people. He loves all humanity. He doesn't like us to find fault and cause others to walk away. He hates that. So we have to guard our tongue, we have to guard our mind, and we have to be convicted. It can't be compliant. I can't just say, I'm complying with God who says, it gives us the Ten Commandments, love him first, so I'm complying with that. And love people, and I, I co, I love people to a degree. That's complying. Now he wants you to be convicted, convicted to that point that you will spend your life, whatever it is, whatever time you have left, for each other, for the vision that God has. That's what Moses did when he said, "I will give my eternal life." He saw God's vision. I will spend my life for your vision. Paul did that. Christ did that. Peter did it. And we have to do that. So go through 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians 13. Study it. Take time. Think on how you reflect to everything that's in here. If it's not here... Godly love is here, then find out what it is that you're missing. Make the change. We are to be God in the God family. We're only temporary people right now. We only have a short period of time. A short few years. How you spend those years and what you accomplish is the talent that God gives to you. And you can build on that talent or you can hide it. It's up to you. It's your choice. Which tree, the tree of love of God or the tree of love of Satan, what tree are you going to eat from?